Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity doggone gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a fun one for me. I'll tell you that they're all fun. But this week we have the titan of the Telecaster, Mr. Hot Rod Lincoln himself, Bill Kirchin. Can you dig it? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, yet another iteration, if you will, of chewing the gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch, here with the immortal Bill Kirchin, the titan of the Telecaster the king of Diesel Billy, and one hell of a nice fella. And uh, we're here to just kind of shoot the breeze about whatever we want to, Bill. We can, we can, we can do whatever we want. That this is, is so what cool. freedom is all about. That's right. That's what somebody fought for, not me, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> How you doing? You're down there in Austin, Texas, are you not? I am in Austin, Texas, which is the last place I saw you. And yes. uh, at the, uh, the the clinic with Mr. Volkert. And, uh, oh, no, and then, no, 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 I saw I went to see you the same place that I did a clinic with. That's correct, Volkert. yes. Yeah. At the six-string, six the six-stringed ranch. Which is a fantastic place. That is a cool place. So, yeah, I'm here in Austin, and I just, actually, I just went out for the first time to go see music at Sam's Old Town Point, which is, it was outdoors, socially distanced and I hadn't been out in a year to see music it was right it was fantastic just are you all are you all vaxxed up? I'm vaxxed I'm I'm vaxxed and relaxed as am I good for you man I am and you all, are where I'm you in are, Milwaukee Wisconsin Milwaukee yeah I'm in actually Wauwatosa which is a satellite uh, community here in Milwaukee County but um, if I threw a stone I could hit Milwaukee if I <laughs> You can. You know, I if I gave it could. a good, if I gave it a good heaving, I would yeah. be within the city limits of Milwaukee. Well, I'm a corn-fed Midwesterner myself, from across the lake and uh, across the lake and the state in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's where I came from. So, indeed, I, I actually have some roots over there. My uh, my grandmother uh, was from Charlotte. Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's up north, isn't it? Like up there or something? I I, I think I it's by I think it's by Grand Rapids. Oh, okay, down a little bit south of that. Yeah, uh, somewhere in that neck of the woods, or La- no. it's by Land. Ah, shit, I don't know. You it's, know what? It's I'm in just- Michigan. I know it's I'm in Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, I believe you. Right, I've seen it's, it. It's uh, but it's over there. Actually, it was what kind of an interesting story. Not to go too far afield, but oh, it was my. Uh, we, I didn't find out that my, my, the woman I knew was my grandmother was my actual grandmother, uh, wasn't my actual grandmother until I was in, in, uh, college. And I found out that my blood grandmother was this mysterious woman who apparently had a tempestuous relationship with my grandfather and it was no more in the twenties. So she moved back to, uh, Michigan where she was from. And then she died in a weird car accident where she fell from a car. So, um, holy crinkle. It's some crazy activity. So Michigan is a wild yeah. place in my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> I had to get out. I went to I went to California because it was tamer in California. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. So you so you're in Ann Arbor. Yep. And were you always into music? Was it something your family was into? How did you how did the road start for you in terms of where you're at? It started for me, uh 
in, in the middle of my high school years or early, I, I got caught up in the big folk scare, 1964. Oh, yes. And Ann Arbor, being a college town, had a great, like it had a folk music society. I could go there as a, as a high school kid, just like, oh, you know, what are you fellows doing? And they were finger-picking guitar and playing uh, some of the... And a guy in town, actually, was one of the people in the circle of people in Washington, D.C., who rediscovered John Hurt in the early 60s, oh, okay. Mississippi John Hurt. So that... That was kind of, that's the short version of what happened to me. And I got enamored. That was kind of the first indigenous or whatever kind of music you want to call it that I, that I uh, heard. I heard a little bit of pop music, but I went from being a classical music. I listened to classical and Broadway at home because that's all everybody did. And I was a nerd, of course. And, uh, uh, duh. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and then after a short, brief period of listening to pop music in the 60s, I pretty much went to uh, listening to old timey and blues and you could hear, I heard so many people back then. And I went to the Newport Folk Festival in 1964 and 1965. Okay. And, and I saw things that were like, all the old blues guys, Mississippi John Hurt, Sunhouse, Skip James, Robert Pete Williams, Fred McDowell, Lightning Hopkins, who I loved. And, right. And John Hurt and all those guys. And plus, uh, I saw Johnny Cash, I saw Bill Monroe, I saw the Staples Singers with young Mavis Staples, who was 25 at the time, and, and being hit on by Bob Dylan, I found out later. So <laughs> I wasn't backstage to witness any of that. And I saw Dylan, I saw the uh, Questkin Jug Band, which I loved, and and then uh, then I went back the next year and saw all many, many more, and saw Bob Dylan go electric. And right. Kind of ruined me for normal work is what happened. <laughs> well, Ann Arbor had a big music festival as well with a lot of these, uh, the same cast of characters. Am I right? Correct. But I had already left by then. I wrote, I'd already done the Go West Young Man and I was in California and the Blues Festival started, which was fabulous, but I did not see any of that. I was out West by then. Gotcha. So what was the impetus? So was, San Francisco is where it was all happening. So you said, right. I'm going. And by this time, I was, I'd already heard a bunch of, I, you know, I like the Stones and the Beatles throughout that and that kind of stuff and, and British pop. And, but, but for me, you know, Between the Buttons is like a new Stones album. I didn't really, I kind of abandoned the whole thing. <laughs> but, that's, but Keith Richards is why I, I knew just about the same time I got the Muddy Waters and the Little Walter record, I heard Keith Richards. So he, it was just right, right along there. And many things I heard through the, of course, through the white guys, you know. So right, as we, as we all did. Of course, that was, and bless them for that, you know. Right. But uh, I just, I was entranced by the whole scene out there. And by 1906, I graduated in 65. And by 66, uh, I had a, psychedelic folk rock band. I've had a Fender, borrowed Fender uh, ja jazz master, not a Jaguar, jazz master played to a Tweed twin, who knew, yeah. you know? Uh. <laughs> and an Echoplex, I probably never had a cooler rig in my whole life. <laughs> 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 you know? and, the, and I've actually finger-picked all these songs. We did like, you know, first I look at the purse by the contours and we did Bob Dylan songs and whatever we could thought we could do. And, uh, uh, you know, so. But uh, I don't know where I was going with that story, but oh yeah, and so I wanted to I wanted to see especially, and then I I had a brief period of time of liking the San Francisco psychedelic bands, mostly when I was, you know, in Ann Arbor. Decided to go to California and talk to the rest of the band. And talk to and by then I was in Commander Cody. We'd started okay. Commander Cody, 
and uh, went up there. The old commander had gone up to teach art in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh He had a brief career there. He didn't like it there. Uh, And another guy in the band had gone on to get his doctorate, you know, John Tishy down at Georgia Tech. And so at any rate, when that kind of all settled down, I said, Get on up to California, man. And they got, you know, next thing, there they are. And that's how my life in California and with the professional career of Commander Cody began. That's the short story. And San Francisco, I mean, especially that period of time, just such a, um, not only for music, but just everything was just kind of percolating with forward-thinking vibes, if you will. And, and, and I would imagine it was a glorious place to be for that period of time. It was, you're exactly right. It was glorious, and all that was attractive to me. The whole <clears throat> um, art thing, you know, left-wing politics. Uh, right. Just, it was just a great scene. It was flowering then. I missed, I didn't catch the summer of love out there. By the time I got there, it had already started to go south in certain ways. The hate kind of wasn't any fun anymore. Hate Ashbury. But right. but still, you know, I gravitated towards Berkeley and lived in Berkeley and Oakland and Sonoma. And it was really lovely. And I, you know, I still, last year was the only time I haven't gone to California once or twice in a year. So, right. you know, that's just, a lot of people suffered a lot more than I did last year. So I'll sit my lip about that. I understand. I won't whine about that. And it's such a beautiful place, Northern California. It's just, well, it's uh, glorious. Know, if it just wasn't so expensive to live there. <laughs> People are flocking to Austin now. So the prices in Austin are going through the roof because it's uh, Tesla moved here, Oracle, uh, all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, see what happens here. That's crazy. I, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't escape people. It. No, exactly. They need someplace to live, it turns out. They need houses. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, here in the in old Wisconsin, you know, when you think about all the the climate catastrophes everywhere and and that will only of course um not to bring us down, but you know, it is what it is. But uh, you know, all those years of people going, "What well, you ever going to move from Wisconsin?" It's like, "Yeah, I, not a bad place to be." And all <laughs> right. Exactly. As far as uh, all things considered. But talk a little bit about your rambling cuz you're a rambler. You've I'm been rambling, rambling around a well, rambling kind Williams. of a fella. Me and Hank Williams, <laughs> rambling men. Let's face it. Well, and on that same subject, you know, I, I I love all the songs about trucks and so on and so forth, but have you ever spent any time in a diesel vessel of any sort? No, 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 no. No, no interest whatsoever. <laughs> I like the songs. <laughs> I've spent a lot, well, I have spent a lot of time in a bus. And, uh, right. Which is replicates the life of a truck driver in that we frequent the same truck stops. and uh, True. But but then again, I wasn't the driver. By unanimous right. decision, I wasn't the driver. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we had, we, that was, that was the other glorious part of my youth and music was, you know, we had a, we had a, Hit record in 1972 off of our first album. Despite the fact that if we, if you could have tried to make a less commercial album, you would have had hard pressed <laughs> to, to to best us in the uncommercial department. But Hot Rod Lickin became a hit. It was a cover song. Uh, I was the guitar player on it. I didn't do the original vocal on it. It was the old commander himself, George Frayn. And we just needed a tour, and so we bought a. Uh, Used 1954 Greyhound Super Senior Cruiser. It's the kind that goes up and has the second windshield, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had uh, a hippie high school friend of ours 
had it converted. We had 12 bunks. We had an upper lounge and a lower lounge, and there was card playing, perhaps. Perhaps some beers were consumed, and perhaps some tokes were consumed in the upper lounge. Yes. And, and we traveled like that. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a kid's dream come true. And I was in my early 20s then. And uh, we, tra- we put a lot of miles on that thing. It was a great bus. Super you know, it's interesting. Cruiser. It's interesting as you say that, and and the just the finances of everything have changed so massively. But back then, you could actually do that. You could have a vessel like that, go out with your buddies and tour around and not starve. <laughs> as well, the case in may fact, be. that's a very good point, and which doesn't exist today. That's how I was going to bring that up myself, actually. With 12 of us on the road, a manager at home, a booking agent in either New York or L.A., whichever one, we would sometimes be the opener on a three-bill show, say, you know, at a festival or at Winterland, or the middle act, and we made a living for all those people. That is so, that train has sailed years ago, and it's become very top-heavy now. But luckily, that's one reason I feel very fortunate. I got in the music business when it was a little more, whatever the word would be, uh, not as top-heavy. Yes. Yes, indeed. So at what point did you find yourself in, in D.C., and what kind of prompted that decision? That decision, let's see. I have to think back why I did that. I know uh, my wife is from there, and she had oh, okay. a, still her dad still had a family farmhouse, farmhouse on, you know, 20 acres in the, where he'd grown up, his piece of the family farm in Southern Maryland, about only 45 minutes out of DC, but beautiful between the Chesapeake and the Patuxent. Great, gorgeous country, rolling right. hills, tobacco farm in its day. And I had left, let's see, had I left Cody? No, I hadn't left Cody, but I was the player manager at that point of Co- a brief period managing the commander, which I don't recommend to anybody. It's, it's, a, it's, it's in itself an oxymoron kind of. But, uh, and so it didn't matter where I lived, I thought. And I was living in Berkeley. And we just had, my wife and I, Louise, had just had a kid who's, you know, 37 now. And right. was, we were couldn't even park in front of the house usually. You got the diaper bag and, uh, and this and that. So right. the family farm opened up. And we thought, why not? We can I can live anywhere because... You know, it's a phone right. job and a road job. So that's what I did. And it was great. And actually that D.C., which I really didn't even know that much when I came there, had a fantastic music scene. And never mind a Telecaster-heavy scene because right. Danny Gatt and Roy Buchanan, just to name two biggies. Right. Right. And and so, and and it was a post-war hillbilly mecca. That's where, uh, it was also the urban center for bluegrass. When I got there, there was a, a major station was programming bluegrass like, 20 hours a week and uh, wild and great stuff too, you know? So it was a great place to live. And I was able, and that's where I developed my whole solo career under my own name. That's the first time I tried to do that and how I ended up playing in a try. I actually started out borrowing Danny Gatton's rhythm section because he was too, he was interested in fixing cars more than playing. And crazy. I'd already met him years before that. So it was a great, great place to be. I still love going back there. Still go there all the time. So what gravitated you to the Telecaster? Was it more of, it, was it because you were a fan of the people that had played it before you, or was it the tool that did the job you wanted done, or kind of a combination of the both? Very well put. It was a combination of the both, but primarily what happened was I got a crash course in country music when I met the guys in the Cody band. One of them, Billy C., was from Alabama, uh, and he knew 
50 Hank Williams songs at least. And uh, John Tishy had grown up when Buck Owens was still on the radio with Ray Charles. There was no distinction when he, you know, in the early 60s, there, it, things hadn't uh, separated into genres so heavily. So I discovered, and the first stuff I heard, lots of Hank, uh, Red, you know, whatever. Red, Marty Robbs, I'd go to the opera, I'd drive down and watch the opera, you know, we'd grease our hair back with Dixie Peach and smoke cigars to look grown up. I'm sure <laughs> we look so grown up, I can't even start to tell you. But uh, but the stuff that knocked me out was the Capitol Records, Ken Nelson produced Bakersfield Sound, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens. I had the first, this great Red Simpson album with, uh, turned out it was Gene Bowles on guitar. Now, he did not play a Telecaster. I didn't know that. When I heard that basic sound, I thought, somebody told me that's a Tele. So I heard Roy Nichols with Merle and, and of course, James Burton and Phil Baugh on those early records. I didn't know that. And I heard the, the, the lovely Don Rich with Buck mm -hmm. and some Burton. And, right. uh, so th and I went, I need a Telecaster. And that's what happened, really. And I, I thought, I just loved that sound. And and I, I thought, well, I need to tell, and somebody told me I needed JBL. So I ended up with a Tweed Twin with D120s with a, and then, oh, I was working, my last job was as a motorcycle messenger in San Francisco. And the guy, we'd sit on a bench and wait for an order to bring these sacks full of uh, blueprints to uh, the architects in town. This was, it was prior to the, file transfer protocol, FTP. Right. But, so this guy, I had a Gibson SG. Pete Townsend had just come through town and smashing up his SG. He had a Telecaster. We went, <whistles> swap guitars. And, you know, I bought my SG for 100 bucks from John Tishy, my bandmate. And so there, I, next thing I have a, and we still don't know uh, what the, uh, actually, it had a really old pickup. And it had a serial number that indicated it was 2222, indicated it was from 19, early 50s. However, it had a three-color sunburst, non-binding. Uh, 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 it had the old tele switch position thing where it was uh, bridge position, uh, bridge pickup, middle pickup, and then middle pickup with, you know, the right, wolf, right. wolf. The base, yeah. the wolf, wolf. And you had to balance it to get that middle position. And I fell in love with that middle position for some reason, I think more yeah, than yeah, yeah. many on the tele, I like that. But so anyway, first telly and I lucked out to you. So I had a. So did I hear that right? So you you have Pete Townsend. That was Pete Townsend's telecast. No, no, no. It was not at all. I'm sorry. Okay. No. Uh, it, um, the guy wanted one after seeing Pete Townsend, and I got had it. one that I got, got from my bandmate John Tishy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to imply that. Although that's a good story. I mean, that is a good story. Into my lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete gave me this man. Yeah, I gave him my SG, and he yeah. gave me his telly, and it was so we were good. <laughs> no, I swapped. I swapped for the telly with the, my coworker who had who had the SG. He was my coworker at the. Uh, I, get I get it. So, and since then, you've had many different Telecasters, and you know, I, I'm I'm curious because you're you always get such a great sound out of your guitar, and you do like that middle position quite a bit, and it always sounds so jangly yet girsome. And you know, tellys nice. are it's like <laughs> What did you say, girthsome? Girthsome. That's fabulous. <laughs> Damn it, that's good. Sorry you know, I, I, that's all right. I was just going to say, you know, I, I finally got an old telly myself. I've always had, you know, I'm the first guitar, you know, real electric guitar that I had, other than like a, a Fender Lead One, 
was Ooh. a. Uh, Remember that back in the day, they were, you yeah. know, I started playing, you know, and as a young and and the single pick, it was the, the Fender guitar that was available to me. But yeah. shortly thereafter, and I was about fifteen or so, my guitar teacher was selling a Telecaster, and that's what I got. And I was more of like this was the Fender guitar that was available to me. So right. that's how I kind of, you know, I really wanted a Strat because Hendrix played a Strat and Mark Knopfler played at that point and played a Strat, sure. you know, all 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 of the the fellas. So, um. But over the years, I've you know you play all these different guitars, and I finally got uh, a '53 Tele about I don't know five years ago now, maybe. Wow, cool! And uh, and I had to harvest a kidney in order to to get that, but <laughs> but apparently you only need one. You, you so, got two. You got two. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was up at Wildwood Guitars, and it was you know it's a spray over, and you know this that. So it's it's a player's oriented guitar. But the interesting thing about it is that the neck pickup it sounds glorious. Oh, great. Uh, but it's microphonic as hell, and it's really wimpy in comparison to the bridge pickup. And but because it's a '53 Tele, I really don't want to mess with it. You know what I yeah. mean? I just want to leave it as is. But you know, when I I listen to you know, of course, on my, all my other Telecasters I had, there was this really cool relationship between the neck pickup, which would be this almost like your your rhythm or mellow beginning of a solo type of zone. Right. And then you go for the jugular, the, your onboard channel switching, if you will, <laughs> to the bridge, and then you just start annihilating. And that's what I always loved about the guitar is that it pretty much had the template for everything you really needed to do right on board. And But they're, but they're not all like that. you got to find the, the right ones. There's a little wiggle room. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, I have, and and I think that that's one interesting thing is that it kind of makes you play different sometimes. You have to just, I found by looking at videos that I was swatting around unconsciously at my pickup selector trying to find something that would work, you know. I'd be playing along, you know, and it was it was just, you know, what I try to tell any students, get up on stage and try not to suck, and that's what I'm doing in that moment. I'm trying not to suck, and by doing that, if I think that I can swat the pickup in some direction, I will, but... That's exactly right, and that changes guitar to guitar. And uh, I mean, in your case, what you may have is you may just have a, a t an Esquire with a little bling up there. You know, you just right, have to yeah, work yeah. out like an Esquire, exactly, and do that. And but, but yeah, it does. It, it really, they really are all different. And the other thing that I'm late to the party to realize that the body has a tremendous amount to do with the sound. You would think. Yeah. Oh come on! It's a plank and a stick. Get all, get over it, you know. And I don't know what I can pass the blindfold test or not. But to me, the if a if a telly sound, if any uh, solid body guitar sounds good, strummed, unplugged in, you're way ahead of the game. Right. As far as what it's going to sound like, yeah. Absolutely. I'm I getting concur. one of those uh, um, nacho tellies. Oh, you are nacho bangles. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. Matter of fact, I keep if I look out the door, that's what I do. <laughs> well, you know that guitar that I played of yours that with that huge old neck on it. it oh, was that's made from lovely. Like, yeah. Now, what is that again? That's made by Rick Kelly up in the Carmen Street Guitars in Greenwich Village, and he started out making uh, guitars out of reclaimed wood out of economy, you know. And right. he's living in Maryland, and now he's got the shop in the village, and a lot of. Uh, a lot of a lot of people have them. Uh, I think Bill Frizzell plays one sometimes, and it's all what it is. It's recycled pine. It's 150 to 200 year old pine, year old pine that came down the Hudson from the Adirondacks, and 
he, re, he goes to when they're, re, they're called the Bowery Pine series. So when they're rehabbing a loft, he will get the wood and make tellies. And one of mine is made from the Chelsea Hotel planks. Wild. And I always tell people, and I just know this, nobody told me this, I can just tell, but I know that, I know that the, I know that the neck was made from the banister that Bob Dylan slid down, probably right <laughs> right after he wrote "When the Ship Comes In" or something. You, you can tell these things, but that's what it is. And the other one's made from Jim Jarmusch's loft, the filmmaker, the guy who did the great movie. I'm sure you've seen "Gimme Danger," the story about a "Gimme Danger" is a documentary about my high school classmate Iggy and the students. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good movie. Excellent. So anyway. That's what that is. It's, it's all pine and it's got no truss rod, hence the neck is gargantuan. When I got it, I thought, well, pfft, I'll never play this neck because my, my old telly really didn't have that fat a neck. It had fairly narrow. But I found later it just seems to fit my hand and that particular curve, you know, it's right. not, it, it's kind of curves in and it's not a, not a V, but so it's got a giant neck. It's about an inch and at least an inch and an eighth deep at the nut, if not deeper. Right. And, uh, it's I just glorious. stumbled in there. I was on the road with Niccolo, and my telly uh, w went south, and I was wandering around. The village was near where we'd played, and uh, I wandered in, and I'd read about him in uh, vintage in a fretboard journal. We Got both it. had articles in fretboard journal, like the months apart, so we'd heard of each other. We're going, you're the, uh, great guy, Rick Kelly. I highly recommend him. Pine telly, it's all pine. And, you know, I don't care what anyone says, that big old neck has a, an effect on tone. That was the other thing that I now I understand. You're right. And now I know that, and I never did before. And so consequently, I'm sure that rosewood versus, you know, maple fingerboards have a huge effect. So, you know, I never had that many tellies. I played one telly forever, never bothered to get another one, you know. Like, nope, this is fine. I got one. I yep. got one. It works. It works. And plus, you, if, even if you use it in a combat situation, it will be pretty well in tune, ready to go, you know. Exactly. Thank you. As I like to say, at the end of time, in a post-apocalyptic -apoc world, there will be cockroaches and telecasters, and the exactly. telecasters will be in tune. Maybe one of Keith Richards' offspring will be still. Exactly. <laughs> will have survived. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, you know, I was interested with the... Um, you know, when you go, I was watching this video of you playing at, you know, the Copper Mountain guitar thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, and the sound's so, I mean, your tone is so great. It was just right out of the box. And, and it looked like it was a deluxe you were using, but I don't know, it could have yeah, been a twin. Yeah, you're exactly right. I was using a deluxe. Or, well, unless I was using backline there, which is entirely possible. But I tend to, these days, after years of twins and two twins, right. you know, I go for a... I go for those deluxes, and I have a couple of actual '68s that. They sound nowadays, though, I'm great. I'm, I'm down to um, you know, a brown Princeton or a TV front, you know, wide panel deluxe because I'm right. indoors in my living room. But yeah, those I love those deluxes. And you know, it's it's a little bit of verb, you know, occasionally a little bit of tremolo, and then occasionally you'll you'll kick on a little bit of uh, a heat, as I like to say, yeah, a little <laughs> bit of heat. That's and uh, a, a little bit of uh, echo, but you're not you're not always the slapback guy, which I love. I mean, it's because it's just this pure tone, and uh, without you know, I, I do love echo. You know, what's interesting is I've been really into the fact of that slapback sounds so good when you ditch the reverb and it's just slapback. Ah, I was just starting to figure that out, and I'm gonna. I was just wondering about that because I had something I was recording, and I ended up ditching. The slapback, because I couldn't make it work, but maybe I should have gone the other way. 
Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting thing. It, like, and I've really noticed that you know, this, doing this last record and, <clears throat> and messing around here so much because I got nothing but time. But <laughs> you know, I was messing around with the with the slapback delay, and I'm like, I just it, why doesn't it sound, you know, like uh, you know Scotty Moore or you know diametrically opposed to that, like the Jimmy Page doing "I Can't Quit You, Baby," because that's just it's just dry telly with just that little bit of slapback. Right. And I started using it. I was like, man, that sounds glorious. It, you know, I mean, you put the reverb, but somehow it, 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 there's a word, it mitigates that for some reason. Whoa, but it's, whoa, uh, whoa. Uh, security. It's, it seems to go back in the mix too when you do that. It sort of exactly. recedes a little. Now, are you using a, just a single repeat or are you using like two and a half repeats? What do you like? I, I well, for my slap, I just like a single repeat. Right. And I don't and I don't like it real hot. Um, right. And I usually I've, lately I've been using that um, that TC Electronics flashback four because you can get three delay settings. So I usually oh, like, you know, just the slap back. And then I like one with the with the, like three repeats that's longer, uh, but not real wet. You know, just a little yeah. something so you're not bare naked. Yeah, and and then I like uh, a single repeat. That's the same volume, so I can do all the the sync stuff. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? If I want to do the, you know, the volume thing with a or the you know like the Albert Lee or you know right, uh, you know what I'm talking about. So I, those are the three settings I like in there. And I have actually, you know, because you know for the first time in such a, a long time, you know, when I started doing this amplifier with that Cock company, which has my same last name, it's. Was it a coincidence? What a coincidence? I don't know. Whoa! Uh, but I, I'm, I use that through the effects loop, and that really seems to make a difference because I'm actually using the gain on the amp because I always used to use some kind of a screaming shitbox of some sort on the on the ground to get my heat, and uh, and so now, now I got this really good clean channel, and then I go over to lead sound, and there's and it it works because it you know you can get the bump. That's the thing when you get used to pedals, you're used to that. It's that visceral yeah. jump and yeah. power. Unmitigated power. So I was going to say, what what do you usually like if you have to do a fly in, like like Copper Mountain or something like that? What do you usually, what do you usually bring along for to, to would, get the job done? For years, I was bringing <clears throat> three pedals, uh, and it would be a tuner, a, a DM, uh, a Boss analog delay DM. Two or three, or whatever, yep. and and so, and whatever loud button, and I never really made friends and fell in love with any loud buttons. I never knew how to use them. And, I like uh, that loud buttons. Yeah, loud buttons. That's kind of what I call. That's what you know. <laughs> Hello, but uh, for a while I had a tube screamer that had been modded by someone that seemed to work, and then the last one I really liked, the last two I really liked were a Frantone, uh, a Frantone. Um, what the hell is it called? There's two of them, one with two knobs, one with three knobs. And I, um, she went out of business for a while and came back and uh, uh, started remaking them again. But but lately, I've been, I do you know my buddy Duke Levine? Yeah. Duke's I don't great. know. I'm just he's fantastic. He's but I don't. Just, I don't. Yeah. And anyway, but I was. I was doing all these live streams at home and I was starting to lose my bottle, as they say in England. I was kind of going, you know, without, you all of a sudden you go up and do your little miracle licks and the party's over, you know, and everything. Right. You know, miracle the, licks. Yeah. Whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, um, 
So I, I was talking, I was, I'm a, pay, I follow his Patreon channel and right. he's got very similar interests. Sometimes he'll, he's trying to work out these, uh, or he has worked out, I don't say try, these Ralph Mooney Steel, glorious Ralph Mooney Steel right. guitar licks. And I've seen some of those. Yeah, that he does. Just fantastic. And yeah. so I, I just said, Duke, what do I do? And he, he got me going on two delays. So now I have two analog delays, one with a longer one. And I kind of, watched him how to use it. But for loud buttons, he told me, to, he suggested that I might get this Sweet Honey Overdrive by, uh -huh. by Mad Professor, which I did, and I really like it. <clears throat> so if I was going on a flight nowadays, I don't know, you know, it's, it's gig by gig, so what the next flight it will bring, I don't know. Right. It's always, it's always changing. I was using for a while... Um, I was doing some Cody reunions, some airman reunions, not Cody, out in California, and, and a guy there has a, a magnetone, the Twilighter, right. which I love, and I got one at home. It's too, the thing about my deluxe is that with a Neo speaker, I can wrap it in bubble wrap, stick it in a soft-sided suitcase, and fly it, and it's 49 pounds, so it flies free on Southwest Air. And, yes. Because I never want to lift another anvil case in my whole life, and I sure don't want to pay pay to fly it so that's yes gonna, so unfortunately the magnetone's a couple pounds heavier than that but i use now that is that a magnetone with the glorious vibrato on it yes true vibrato exactly it does and it's not the two speaker one which is transcendent you know right ah but it, right the lonnie mac oh yeah exactly the lonnie mac sound but uh so and anyway that's that's my loud button for now we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So when... You know, before the pandemic hit, what was your schedule in terms of how much you were on the road and how much you wanted to be on the road and that, all that kind of stuff? Versus, and then the pandemic hits and you got to pivot. So give us a little rundown of before and after. As my friends will tell me, for many and my wife, for many years, I was saying, I gotta, I gotta slow down. I gotta get off the road. You know, I don't know if I really need to be touring this much, but I was sort of, for one thing, it was sort of a point of pride, you know, like, you know, watch this kids, you know, that I would be doing always at least 150 gigs a year, but, but for a long time, much closer to 200. And a lot of those were one-nighters and it was yeah. in a van with three guys, bass, guitar, drums, let's go, you know, and, uh, and fly dates when I can, you know, if there's festivals and stuff. But but the the touring part of it's with a band, and then with a fly day, you rent a cars and rent a trucks and do that. So, right. uh, and that's what I was doing when the pandemic hit. A little bit slower. I wasn't uh, I wasn't trying to maintain one band anymore. I wasn't trying to. I was f providing a full time living for uh, three families at one point by you know or three three musicians let's just call it that my family right. and i decided i could really not afford to do that because it involves doing a lot of at my level midweek dates that really i really shouldn't be doing in some ways they're not really they're just 
pace markers, you know, try to pay the whole Sure, thing. absolutely, so, yep. So, uh, and that was working fine. I have some great musicians here in Austin and great musicians in California and great musicians in the West, in the East Coast. And that's what I was doing when the pandemic hit. And we did have a bunch of good festivals booked. I was doing some, uh, I was going to go to Canada and play uh, Salmon Arm and uh, go to a Kate Wolf Festival up in Northern California and do some Lost Planet Airmen reunions with the 87-year-old Bobby Black, the steel guitar player, uh, uh -huh. my hero of all times. And that all ended, boom, so that was over. So I'm home for a, I'm home for a year. I, I didn't go anywhere for a year, you know, get the groceries, put in the trunk of the car and drive home. And uh, I started live streaming and that's what I'm doing now. Every other week I do a live stream called, you know, it's the uh, cabin fever reliever. Live stream <laughs> out of the, and that's been, I really have enjoyed it, man. It's been, uh, cause I have a, you know, smaller audience, but spread thin. And so I can get, People all over, even the world, even people in Europe watching. Absolutely. You, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. I got to catch up on what you're doing because I've been a little bit myopic, self-involved here. But uh, uh, I really I really like it. And and the people who are there in the chat room can talk with each other. And, you know, right. I'll have my the songwriter Blackie Farrell and there'll be someone in New York, Blackie Farrell, I've been a fan of yours. And they're talking. And so, you know, thank you. And that's one of the parts of the pandemic that I don't think is going to go away. I think that the whole streaming thing is going to live I on. I think so too. Form. Maybe not to the extent it is, but it's been very rewarding for me so far. Now, did you go through the whole, uh, of course, there's always the pivot to getting the technical side uh, uh, dealt with. And then, and then at the same time, it's, okay, well, do we do a gated stream or do we just put it out on all these platforms and just put tip information? And it, it's kind of, everyone's talked about how they've, they've I'll gone tell you, about yeah. it. I, I, I've been very, as in my career, I've just been downstream. I just got in the canoe and kind of, where we're going to be next. But so I started out just using my, you know, iPhone 10 or 11 or whatever right. the hell it is. Best Which camera. sounds great. And well, and then I used this, uh, um, which I'm using now is, can you hear this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm using. It's this Shure MV88. I won't even bother to bring it. Oh, here. Is that the broadcast? Yeah, that's the. It's the yeah. little thing, you know. And, yeah. and all I, all you need for that is an extension cable because it needs to be nearer to, it's only a foot away from my mouth. I have my amp at my right. This is where I do the streams. I have my amp at my right, the mic here. Bingo, I'm done. It catches Louise everything. sings with me, she, it picks up her. And I, I knock the compression off and I, I run it, you know, just fiddle with it till you get the settings. But then I switched, and then I was just doing it on my iPhone, just to Facebook, that's all. So it was the simplest rig in the world with, you know, a mic, extension cable, iPhone, thank you very much, good night, tripod. Right. Lights, I have these fabulous lights, you see how... Good, I look. That's yes, yeah, godlike pallor. <laughs> <laughs> I've been inside for a year. Okay, I don't have a tan. What can I tell you? <laughs> Sometimes I hold up a neon beer sign to try to, you know, <laughs> try to get some. But now I'm doing restream actually on a computer because I'm trying to do it, and I'm still just doing. Here it is. 
leave it up unless something horrible happened and throw up a right. tip jar. And, yeah, yeah. and Venmo and PayPal. And I started also streaming to a guy in town here in Austin who's got a thing called Austin City Jams in order, because I can see why people don't like Facebook. So I have my problems with Facebook as well, but you right. know, but it's my, it's kind of the bread and butter now for that. So, so that's exactly. what I do. I go through, and actually a couple of them I did OBS first to, right. in order to put up a little, you know, sign that says this or that. And then, uh, and I also started using my uh, camera as, again, rather than, actually until this time, I've always had my camera as the, my phone as the camera, sorry. Got it. And I use Epic Cam to, to get the camera into either OBS or direct into Restream. That's what I do. And then I go from Restream into Facebook and the guy in Austin. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we started off with, I had this microphone. What is that? Uh, this is uh, Audio-Technica oh, yeah. USB microphone of some sort. And uh, so, you know, initially, uh, you know, I was doing a bunch of stuff for Fishman, and they wanted me to pivot do to do more uh, online stuff anyway because, you know, they knew I had a, you know, uh, a thing going online and figured we could reach a lot more people doing that instead of, uh, you know, showing up and doing clinics everywhere, which I, I was happy to do as well. But anyway, so when the pandemic hit, it just kind of forced the hand. So they sent me this thing, and originally I would just go, you know, myself, kind of the same similar situation. This would catch everything, both my vocals and the guitar. And then I started doing stuff with my son on drums, and mm. then initially that was catching everything, and it sounded halfway decent. So we'd go into this laptop, and we'd go out through Restream, and Restream would go into YouTube and to... Facebook, uh, at various different uh, places. And then my son is like, well, this is going to be a long haul here. He goes, I'm going to get a computer um, with, you know, uh, logic on it and start doing some sessions here at home. So <clears throat> ended up getting the computer, which I'm talking to you now on. And then he got a uh, Focusrite um, Scarlet interface yep. so that we could mic everything up. So we started micing everything up as far as the guitar and the drums. And then as, as things went on, um, we started to think, well, you know, maybe we can bring down Toby because we're in a trio with this organ player uh, uh, up in Minneapolis. And so, well, in order to do him with us, we needed more input. So then a buddy of mine was watching one of my live streams who works for Tascam. And he's like, hey, we'd love to get involved. You guys get, you know, people, a lot of people are watching your stuff. We'd like to help you out. Maybe we could come up with something mutually, mutually advantageous. So then we ended up getting this Tascam Model 24 which allows us to wire everything in there. Wow. And then we go into that, into Logic on the computer. Yeah. And then there's another program that's that's that gets it to uh, OBS, and then OBS gets it to Restream, and then out into Humanity. Is that, but, you is, know, and I, is, that the sorry, is that the Logic extension for playing live that takes it to OBS? Is that what you're using? There's a separate Logic program or Logic? It's, it's not. It's, it's not uh, Apple's one? Well, originally we were using a program called Loopback. No, no. Uh, but then it, it switched to we switched to something else, and I always forget on what it is. Right. <laughs> but it's a, it's another one. With loopback worked, but every now and again there would be a glitch, and then we we switched to this other thing. The reason why I don't know about any of this crap is because my buddy Ryan, who's actually out in Boston uh, from Fishman, he zaps into my computer through Restream, and he does the sound for us. He does the cameras back and forth. It's been, he's been fantastic. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's really helped us with all of that. But uh, yeah, but it's amazing that people are to your point about just the interaction with this group of people that comes on every time and they watch and they're, and they tip oh, no. and they, 
And it's this cool, you know, little subculture that exists. And there's always more people that are coming in and they're welcome to the fold. And as you said, there'll be little conversations going on. And so I think it's, you know, you you speak to various different folks, uh, musicians during, uh, you know, the the lockdown, whatever you want to call it, quarantine, COVID days, as I like to call it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you have people who are just like, oh, my God, I just can't wait to get on the road again because I just, this is just shit. And then there's other people who are just like, well, you know, you pivot, and I kind of like this. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm I'm kind of in that mode myself, where it's like, you know, I enjoy doing the live streams. It's it's fun. You know, I'm not I'm not going broke, thank God. And right. uh, but you know, when the road comes around, if it makes sense, I'll do it. But I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you're of the same mind of ever doing as much road stuff because of this awareness. You know what I mean? Of being able to sit home and reach people. I exactly know that, and I'm. This I think has finally tipped me away from that self-employed knee-jerk reaction when you get a call saying, "Are you interested?" And you go, "Yes," you know. Right. And I don't. I don't want to do that. And I, you know, I value my time. And there's others. I, I, you know, my marriage has survived this, which wasn't a given. I don't think I've never. I'm with me 24/7, and that's no picnic, you know. And I, <laughs> I wonder about my wife, you know. But uh, I. Never have been home this long, you know, every night for for a whole year. So I like it. I like being home, you know. Yes. Me and the dog, I walk the dog this couple different places. We like that. Me and Louise have dinner together, you know. uh, Right. So so I agree. I think this will live on in many ways. And just the idea that you can reach a wide, and and like you said, when I went to California, there was a community that I discovered and built, you know, and whatever, you know, found. And, uh, and that's what, I think that's what we're in it for. That's what I loved about the folk music scene back in the sixties. There was people with a similar interest who could get together and be excited about stuff and go, yeah, yeah. They're so-and-so. Whoa, whoa. And, 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 uh, that's what I'm in it for. And if this, and this to me provides that, and it provides a, a very good, uh, you know, and I'm glad that you're doing it too, because I got to go, ch- I really haven't checked you out. I'm covered in shame that I say that, but. Oh, fear not. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to be covered in shame. I thrive on, I thrive on negative reinforcement. <laughs> yeah, there's only, but, you know, only go up from there. <laughs> that's right. Well, what I find interesting about you know this whole internet thing, and I've you know I've talked about this with a few folks uh, during these these chats, uh, but it's the idea of you know the internet. You know, say what you will about any number of the different cons, but the pros are is that there's kind of no gauntlet of tastemakers that are in the you know what I mean. Mm. There's no uh, the groovy set saying, of course, there always will be in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> but you have the ability to reach people who might be inclined to be into what you're doing uh, and you don't really need a million, you just need enough. <laughs> and, and so the, 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 the paradigm of, of, as you said, of, oh, I got to do this and, oh, I got to do that because we got to build here and we got to build there and I got to take that opportunity. I mean, certainly it doesn't mean I'm steeped in <laughs> the lack of motivation, but just no, no. that kind of, you know, necessity to feel that you have to do all these extra things to breed whatever concept of, you know, success that people have thrown out there in the ether as a musician. You know what I mean? It's kind of changed all that. 
I can give you concrete examples of how I've done that in the live stream. I completely agree. And, and, and one thing it's done for me is I'm doing these so often, I try to do all kinds of different songs. And sometimes I'll put a lyric sheet up if I don't remember them, you know. Or, and, uh, but, and it's led me to, do, to, to, to hit the wall and flame out and hit the guardrail several times. And I finally, and I, at one point I started worrying, are you really... Are you ruining your reputation as a professional guitar player by doing stuff where you, where you, and on stage, if I made a big hairy mistake, I might be tempted to just, you know, per to what, you know, and just power through it. That was kind of the old school way to do it. But now I don't have any problem like, you know, ooh, that was right. the, I don't have any problem sharing that with the audience. And I don't have any problem doing songs that I may not know. And right. I kind of stopped my worry about that because it's become, it's we're a bunch of people in the living room and it's not yes. the same. It's not the hello Cleveland. You know, I don't have right. to do that. And I think that's refreshing. It's refreshing for me. It's refreshing for other people. Cause that whole, the whole stance sometimes of, and you're really not like that. Your shows are, you know, it's this guy here when, and that's what I'm trying to do in, in the living room. And my wife comes down the hall and she's written out since I, up until recently, didn't have a computer in front of me. She's written out the names of all the people who are on board, and she comes here, and I read them and go, whoa, it's Clara, and so-and-so. Hey, how you doing? And then she sings a few songs, and then my dog might bark, you know. At, at one time, I did the song where you had to knock on the door and the thing, and as soon as I did that, the cheek was like, whoa, 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 whoa. But it's, it's better, and I, I've, just, <laughs> I've come to terms with the fact that this is what I do, this is how I am, this is what I do. I don't need to pretend to do anything else. And if, you know, if it's not slick enough for you, there's plenty of other There's plenty say. of other, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I hear Go you, Go elsewhere. Yeah, but, or, you know, or, yeah, so I, I hear you. It's its 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 own thing, yeah. It is. And it's fun to just wake up and go downstairs. And, you know, if you want, you can turn the camera on and communicate with people. If you don't, you're, you know, you can, but it's nice just being in your house. And as you said, you know, like a... <laughs> I was going to ask you, you know, you've you've maintained, you know, uh, being married for a, quite a long time, as yeah. have I, thank thank God. And, you know, I, it was interesting. I was curious as as well. I mean, I'm usually gone in about 150 days out of the yeah. year, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. now I'm home. Same and uh, I'm pleased to report she still finds me funny. So... Pretty much. I've had, I've, I had to raise my game a little yeah. bit. i got to work on it. Uh, but still getting a few more giggles than not. So this is this is a good thing. I agree. I have the same kind of a track record here. Too. Yeah, you did, did. I had to modify some behaviors, you know. As, <laughs> you know but I'm willing to learn. You know, I'm an old dog, but I can I can still. Yeah. We, we matter of fact, my wife right now is in the studio, and I've been trying to. We've been trying to do this for years. She's been writing songs for forty years. There, we've been married. We've been together. Uh, God. I don't know. Married 44 did together. Good Lord. I think we've been together. We're pushing 50 years, which is actually well I'm, done. Th well, I like most things about her, but I'm a little bit disturbed at her lack of imagination in that department. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> 50 years. But uh, she's in the studio now making her record. She's been writing great songs for decades. Never made it into the studio. Was all set to go uh, here in Austin when the pandemic hit. And she was, they were all set. They had the pre-production meetings and everything. Then 
So she today is day three of her making her album, and I've heard four, all original stuff. So you know, thank you. I'm awesome! Glad, I'm so glad it's happening. Yeah. Well, speaking of songs, you yes, have written so many great tunes, and I, I just. You know, it's interesting. I was talking about this with somebody the other day, and, you know, th there's the idea of, you know, there's there's music that you listen to where there's vocals, but, you know, the, the vocals are more of just another instrument. You know, you're not even exactly <laughs> sure what the hell's being said, and you don't really care, you know? Exactly, yeah. And then, and then there's, you know, what you do is just such a great balance, because the music is great. And but all the tunes tell a story, and you and you and you want to hear every word, and <laughs> and you deliver your your voice is great, and I love the call and response that frequently happens between what you're vocal wise, a little rhythm segment, a little and then chords, and then the vocals. It's just it's just fantastic. So as a performer, it's magnificent. But you've written all these great songs that are funny. A lot of them are funny as hell. Let's just be honest; they're fantastic. Uh, I and like I'm curious, funny, just, so, yeah. well, like you know funny, what? Yeah. Funny is good because life, <laughs> we need humor. Am yes. I right? Yes, sir. And so you've got all these tunes and you've written so many over the years and you've uh, done all this stuff. So I'm just, I'm just curious. I mean, how much, how much of your livelihood is predicated on per live performance and how much is, is from all these songs that you've written over the years? Or is it just like the way of the music business? That, yeah, at some point I was getting royalties for this and this and this, but that kind of fell off. And, you know, I'm, I get my things from CD Baby. You know, I'm just curious. I mean, just business. Sure. You don't have to div yeah, yeah. divulge dollars and cents, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad to, yeah. <clears throat> I was uh, slow to writing. I didn't, you know, uh, and it didn't. Once again, the whole downstream theory of a professional career, just get in the canoe and see what <laughs> Look, whoa, you know. But, uh, so I, but I wrote some songs. I wrote Too Much Fun and Semi-Truck and about half a dozen maybe only with if, on the first four Cody albums. <clears throat> and uh, I really didn't start writing until um, – I started putting out records under my own name and a little bit when we made it out, we made a, had a band called the Moonlighters and that's how I met Nick Lowe and we went over there right. produced now and everything. But when I started doing it under my own name, it was obvious to me I had to write songs. I couldn't just, you know, you mean I can't keep recording truck driving, man? You know, come on. But uh, so I started doing that and I've actually, as far as the commercial side of it goes, I need... I need to do that for a variety of reasons. I'm not driven to write songs. So I don't wake up like, oh my God, I, you know, give me my pad and paper. I'm, I have to go, shoot, I got to write it. I got to do an album. got to write some songs. That's how it works for me. Sure. Not, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on demand, not on demand, but on as needed writer. But got it. the other thing that happened was when I, uh, and most of my songs were sort of, I mean, self-admitted, they're, they're doggerel in a way. It's like, you know, you know, and a lot of them were from the stance, the conceit of, you know, here I sit all alone with a broken heart, took three bennies, my semi-truck won't start, you know. Of course, it's not really, it's, <laughs> I'm not a truck driver, you know. <laughs> I haven't taken <laughs> bennies in years and years, <laughs> and years. So it's, but, so I went to England and the first record I was going to make for uh, Proper Records, now Last Music Company, and I've done a series of four of them. The first one, it was going to be with the, the same band I toured the world with, with Nick Lowe. And Nick is one of my favorite writers and yeah. all around music. He's a music theorist too, a pop music theorist of the first order and a right. hilarious gentleman, as we've mentioned. 
By the way, he likes, for some reason, his band always had tall people, which is word for England. So if you're ever looking for a sideman gig, <laughs> Nick's your man. <laughs> you can be perfect. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I thought, man, I can't just sit here and do all these I'm a burly truck driver songs anymore. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I thought you should really try to write closer to the bone. And that, that, and a couple albums back that I did for High Tone, and then just started to be trying to be more, I don't know, I'm a Dylan fan, you know, and mm -hmm. I love what he does, and, but I've never sort of accessed that completely surrealistic approach that I love in him. But so I've never been asked this before, so I'm winding in circles like, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's kind of what happened to me. So as far as it being a commercial part of my income stream, it, it adds up, you know, be more from uh, various uh, internet radio play. And that's the thing that, that what's, what's that sound? What, what do you get for uh, sound exchange? Sound exchange. Yeah. That is what I, as far as for, uh, you know, as far as for trying to, anyway, I do get, I get publishing royalties too from, uh, from records that are sold. Oh, Cody records ones I'm doing now. So it's, it's significant, but it's not a major thing. And I've always been, I've made my livelihood touring. I'm a live performer and, sure. uh, and I've always been more comfortable live than in the studio, you know, and, uh, you know, so that's been a, one of the things that's been interesting to try to re recreate that freedom at home, you know, even if nobody's looking at you or in the studio when you just, you know, what I've seen you do it, man. You're surfing. You're, you're, you're like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then that comes hard to me. Uh, not as hard to me live as much as it does in the studio. But anyway. That's kind of a diff. Did I, if I answered your question, I'm, it was yeah, pure absolutely. dumb luck. Okay, good. Absolutely. So tell us, if you don't mind, um, tell us about the Nick Lowe thing. I've always been a fan of, of Nick Lowe. I was, uh, I used to do a couple of those tunes back in the day. And uh, of course remember? I was, a, uh, well, actually remember that solo record he had and he had that sa that song, All Men Were Liars. Sure. Yeah, I used I'm to do that, that song. I'm the guitar player on that. Oh, no way. That was the- Do the you remember Rick Astley? <laughs> Yeah, the big fat hit, it was Gasly. It was Gasly, exactly. <laughs> ah, what a great song. He says he got that. He said, he says, I was watching uh, like the Oprah show or something, and there was someone on the someone on the TV, and they go, probably a you know, nice older African-American woman. She goes, oh, man, all men are liars. <laughs> so he went. <laughs> Take it to the and bank. down it went. Yeah. That, my, I'll tell you my story with Nick basically is, I met him when he was in Brinsley Schwartz and I was over there in Commander Cody and we we're actually both in the loo and look up and Nick says, well, you Bill Kirchner, I'm yes, I am. And he had, uh, he liked the song I did, Got My Home in My Hand, which was the flip side of Hot Rod Lincoln. That was actually Ronnie Self had written that. And, uh, but anyway, so we just got chatting. And uh, then I, the next thing I know, he has Rock Pile out. And and I I didn't really see Brinsley's ever, and I never stayed in touch with him. We, we didn't become friends, but I was playing with a guy, Austin Delone, who one of my other key people I've worked with. He's a great keyboard player from the Bay Area. Played with Fabulous Thunderbirds for a while, Clarence Clemens for a long time. But his band, Eggs Over Easy, invented pub rock, basically, okay. and is widely accepted and known to have done that, which preceded punk rock in a pretty direct lineage, you know, but, and Nick Lowe was the next step in pub rock with Brinsley Schwartz, as were Bees Make Honey and, 
and the stuff that Elvis Costello was interested in. So I go to see Rockpile, and they were fantastic. Four guys, you know, just four-piece rock and roll and all those great songs. And uh, Austin DeLone is playing with me now, and we write these songs. And he says, I'm going to send these to Nick. Rockpile should do these songs. So we send Nick a bunch of songs we'd written, and he writes Audie back a letter that goes, Austin, Audie, same guy. Dear hero of mine, you know, and there's not many of us left, you know, blah, blah, blah. Real super encouraging, like, letter. And unbeknownst to us, Rockpile had broken up. They'd taken a boat from, you know, Dunkirk to Calais as a band right. and took the next boat back, not as a band. You know? Right. So, uh, but at any rate, uh, so that's how I met Nick. Nick agreed to produce the Moonlighters, which was my band with Austin DeLone. And I made a record with him producing. That's how I met Elvis Costello. I played... Uh, you know, played a show with Elvis on the BBC because he'd made that country record with John McPhee from, you know, from the Clover and John. So anyway, I got to work a little with Elvis. Fast forward to when that record with All Men Are Liars was made. Nick, at this point, uh, uh, you know, he, he he had a great career. He produced all those Elvis records, and but he only really had one big hit. He was a pop star. I mean, all, yeah. I mean, uh, what, what the hell is the song? Uh, Cruel to, Cruel be, to kind. be Kind. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Cruel to Be Kind, and and he'd written Peace, Love, and Understanding for which Elvis did, and great, uh, great song. So he he's doing this album, and it's going to be. He'd already done the. Um, uh, the Bring the Family album, the Little Village stuff with Ry Cooper right. and, and uh, I love that. John Hyde. Great stuff. Fabulous, you know. So he he's going to go back to England, go back to the U.S. and make this record for Warner Brothers. And it's and they decided to reconcile he, uh, uh, Nick, and Dave Edmonds. So Dave Edmonds is going to produce it. And he and he gets Ry Cooter. He gets, so I was third chair to Dave Edmonds and Ry Cooter. I'm just sitting there going... Don't throw me out, you know. What, did the paintbrush rhythm? Can do, you know. But uh, I got to play some licks, including, you know, the, the bottom end stuff. But uh, that turned out to be his last major label record. And after that, he went and started making pretty much his own records, which which came out uh, on Yep Rock in the States. And Upstart and uh, and Proper Records in England, some of them. So at any rate, that was how I started working with Nick. And I've recorded on several of his other records. But the two records I've done with Nick were that one, which I was... And then at one point, he invited me to, to come back to England. I'd done a tour with my band. And he said, come and be and play this record with me. And that ended up being The Impossible Bird. Which is a, okay. a real, I really, I would love that record if I, if you take the guitar parts off, I'd love it. It's great songs. It's Nick. And he decided to write this, to record it fairly live. He got in the back room of a pub, you know, broke the corners with gobos with sound uh, deadening material, sat us in a circle and we all played. And, uh, and I used a little tiny Gibson amp and I, I was, I'll tell you one thing more about Nick that was, I've always thanked him for. I said to him, Oh, yeah, I said, great, send me all the songs, man, and I'll work up some parts, you know. And he goes, no, that's not how we're going to do it, Bill. He says, if I do that, you'll make a meal of it, which is British for, you know, get a little too far into it or something. <laughs> and that turned out to be fantastic <laughs> advice, I think, because, you know, he said, I just want us to be sitting in a room together, you know, adults playing this music and, and reacting to each other. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's not about yeah, me yeah. going... 
ho, ho, whoa, you know, right. it's not what he needs, you know, right. especially with another artist. My job, I've really come to feel is to cheer him up. If I'm gonna, if you're gonna make a record as Greg, the singing star, you know, and uh, and put your guitar down. I will just try to cheer you up. If you do something, I'll try to kind of go like, yeah, you know, encourage right. you with my guitar. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ended up sitting down, playing barehanded a lot of it, like I do at home, and with a little tiny Gibson amp, and just sort of you know reacting. And I and I, it came out great. But that's the kind of thing, Nick. So when I made my first record in England under my name, which was Hammer of the Honky Tonk Gods. Yes. That was the same band. It was Nick Lowe, except Nick went to bass. He hadn't played uh, as much bass. And the guy, bass man, who had played bass, this is getting confusing, but <laughs> I'll have a chart later. You can send me the tab, <laughs> the tab on this conversation. I'll send it to you. But anyway, the, the bass player, bass man Riley produced it. Nick played bass, but it had Grant Watkins on keys, uh, this I'm talking now about my record, Hammer of the Honky Tonk God. So anyway, that's the lineage there. Hammer of the Honky Tonk God. That's a great song. It's my the Telecaster. Song the Telecaster, yeah. Yes, the weapon of. Well, speaking of Telecaster, I, I have to ask you, being in in DC, and I, I saw a cool video of you with Danny Gattinetti playing at a lakeside party, and I was well, like, was oh my god. Video of all things to. See of us, and but anyway, that's well, what what's saw. fantastic is that I've I've played that party every year. You know what I mean? Right. It's like we've yeah, all exactly. we've all done that right. party, you know. And uh, so, what was it like being in that area with uh, with Roy and in yourself and Danny and Tom Principato and yeah. Jimmy Thackeray yes, well, and yada yada yeah, yada? All those guys. Well, I missed. Uh, I didn't. By the time I got there, which was '86. I believe Roy Buchanan was gone, or else he was gone within a year or two. Right. And I yeah, saw yeah. him early in, when I went to D.C. I saw him at the Crossroads Club back when he had that album with oh, yeah. Snakes Net, Snake, Snake Stre Stretchers. Yeah, right. Thank you. Exactly. What a great name, yeah. the Snake Stretchers. With, uh, you know, Lonesome Fugitive and Haunted House right. and stuff. I saw him during that period. And, uh, and Danny Yadden I met. I did a gig with, Al, uh, with a... NRBQ, actually, I think they opened for us in, you know, NRBQ. What a band. Al Anderson, yeah. too. Oh, oh my he's fantastic. God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my hero. And uh, in Cape Cod Coliseum, and I was going to D.C. He played, He looked at my tail and he goes, this thing needs a refret. I go, yeah, no, I don't know. He says, go to D you're going to D.C., go see this guy, Danny Gatton. He's a, and I, if he told me he was a guitar player, I don't even remember if he did. But he said, he's great. He'll fix it for you. So I go to Danny Gatton had a shop then. Danny, I sit around with Danny. He refrets it all. He puts on actually a brass nut, too, of all things. And uh, he says, oh, man, you need, you need round knobs. That's an old telly. It's got square knobs. That's not right. So he gave me little round top knobs, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then at one point, he says, he knew about my first couple of albums I've been on. He knew who I was. And he said, you want to play some? And I thought to myself, I'll show this friendly guitar player a lick or two. Perhaps he'll enjoy learning some of my licks, you know. Oh, my God. Then you see him playing. It's like... <laughs> the guy in the, the guy in the commercial, you know, with his hair blown. So anyway, that was my meeting with Danny Gatton, and I've kind of knew him through the years. And so when I moved to DC, quite a number of years later, five or six years later, maybe no, no, ten years later, more, uh, I looked him up, and I ended up 
filling in for him on a gig he didn't want to go bother to do. It was a great gig, I thought, you know, 500 bucks a man back in the day, you know, like, yeah. But, uh, and he, uh, but, and then I started playing with John Previty and Dave Elliott, who were his band at the time. Right. And that's how I began my own solo career there. So, but Danny, both, and, and now living, you know, anyway, that's, that's DC. And then now in Austin, where up until recently Red Volker lived, those right. are two extraordinary people and extraordinary players. And, uh, right. and I know that, and I'd, I'd be in a band with them and, you know, I just thought, I, I, one thing One thing it helped me do is it helped me not be intimidated by those people because I thought at some point, actually I was at one point, we did a, we did a tour when I first met Red with the Twang Bangers. It was all people on high tone with albums. And after the first week I'm okay. The second week I go, oh my God. He knows what I'm trying to do. He knows I can't do it. He knows he could, you know, that kind of stuff. And it kind of paralyzed me for a whole gig. I sort of, you know, and then I, I had to stop and go, what are you doing? That's, that's not a helpful mindset. For this. Right. Do what you can, be yourself. And so I just figure I got the best seat in the house to, to watch extraordinary players play. And then my job is to do what I can and, and, and accept the fact that if it's a competition, on technical skills, I'm gonna lose. So I might as well try to take my strengths, which would be a sense of melody and sense of humor, you know, and, and contribute that way. So it's been, it's been interesting. You have to kind of, the greater than and lesser than don't really help in that situation. It's better just to try to, you know, be who I well, am. Well, it's interesting because I, I would never, as, a, as an outside observer, like, you know, you're, you're playing with Danny on this thing and I'm like, you both have your thing. It, it, to me, it was like, well, Danny's Danny and Bill's Bill. Well, it's not you. like a, yeah. it's not a lesser than or greater. You know what I mean? And I think that that you know that's something that gets lost a lot. I think on on folks because you know I get the I you know when people are always like, who's underrated this person who are the best the yeah. top five or who you know what oh, I mean yeah. and all these and then of course it's exacerbated tenfold on the internet because yeah. clickbaity stuff like was Hendrix really that good you know and all this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and okay. all this other kind of stuff it's like all you could ever do and all you should do is be yourself. Now, that's right. that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you play on an out-of-tune guitar. Well, that's me. Dig it or not, <laughs> right. you know. But, I mean, if, if someone you can if you want. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you, you be yourself and all you can be is the best you that you can, you know, the best person sitting in the chair at the moment. Like when Dick Cabot said... The Hendrix when he was on his show. Do you think you're the best guitar player in the world? He goes, well, I'm the best guitar player currently sitting in this chair. <laughs> that's beautiful. I didn't know that. Good for him. That's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you've got a such a cool style that is, um, you know, as I said before, this, this way of being able to call and response during the song it's it's you know it's you're singing plus your i love your voice i mean not to not to kiss your ass here bill but let's just let's just talk about it. <laughs> please do but you know the like, the, no, no. the playing is so great and tasty and the tones are right it's like it's exactly what it needs to be so I, well, I'm, I'm a huge to say i'm that. a huge fan well i'm glad you like it man that cheers me up because that's i'm trying to I'm trying. I'm just trying to play stuff that I really like and go. Wow, check this out! I can almost do this. You know, <laughs> I hope you'll like it too. So I, I, that's what I'm in it for, man. And so I, I accept that that you like it, and I'm not going to go. Oh no, 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 no. You know, because that's kind of. 
I've discovered that too, that, that, that rejecting appreciation from someone else is really, it's not that cool. I mean, for one right. thing, you're saying a lot of negative things. If you were to say to me, you sound great. And I was going to go, that, you thought that was great. I'm saying you're an idiot. A, you don't, right. your taste is no good. And I'm also implying, oh, I'm way better than that, you know? And so there's all those, I think that's one of the pitfalls of false modesty, that it doesn't help, you know? I, I, mean, I do like the line, I like I like using Junior Brown's line. I go, I just do what comes easy to a fool. <laughs> <laughs> there is a unique player too, that guy, he's... Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, what's it like being down in Austin? I mean, you've been there for a while now. I mean, how do you like it? I like it what, fine. I like it's, you know, I have to say being a Northern uh, liberal, you know, there's aspects to Texas that I find uh, hideous, you know, but luckily right, Austin sure. is sort of an oasis landlocked by Texas as it were. And, uh, and it's nice, man. Um, I did find this time a whole music community that wasn't exactly what uh, I've been, I've lived in Austin twice and this is the second time now I've lived here for about 12 years, but I found a whole bunch of singer songwriters that I ended up doing this thing called mystery Monday, where a, a woman named Christine Albert, her husband is Chris Gage. Who's a fantastic player played with uh, Roy Clark for years and piano and guitar player. And, and she's a wonderful singer songwriter. And also Madam, Ch Madam chairperson emeritus of Neris of the Grammy organization in LA. So it's forever flying out to, but she, but we would have this thing called mystery Monday and it was there before I got there. And every week we'd, a, a guest would come up. And so she'd sing, I'd sing and the guest would sing. So it was a three way round robin for an hour and a half. And I had to play with people I didn't really know and songs I didn't know and maybe learn them in advance, maybe not. And I, and it was very interesting. I got cemented my friendship with Jimmy Dale Gilmore and Butch Hancock, both of whom I've, I'd known, but not that, that well before. So that's been wonderful. So there's a, there's a whole, when I first went out uh, two nights ago, the first time in a year, I went to this place called old Sam's Old Town Point, which is a great old, it's like old Austin used to be when I'd come here in the seventies with Cody. So it's still got a, and you know, it's different, but the world's different. It's very different, but the world's very different. It's cut. And, and Austin in some ways is leading the charge towards gentrification and industrialization. So who knows how that's gonna play out, but you know, it's One nice. Never I like it. Come back. We'll welcome you to the open arms. Tacos, we have tacos, we have coffee. I'm yes, I, I I've enjoyed my time in in Austin. You know, and we've we've done well down there. People good. actually come out and see the band, which is good. So yeah. as soon as as soon as the pestilence clears, the pestilence, uh, we shall return. Us. I am going to the Dallas Guitar Show in a couple of weeks, and I was a little, uh, you know, obviously you, I was a little concerned about going to, but you know, since I got since I got vaxxed, I'm I'm less nervous and. Uh, you know, but so I'm going to go down there and, you know, I'm, the band's not going, though. My son's not going and Toby because they weren't fully vaccinated. Good for like, him. Yeah, we, Stay home. For this yeah. No, I won't go either, going. but just because, I mean, I'd go if Red was going. The last time I coattailed with Red, you know. Oh, speaking yeah, yeah, yeah. of, well, Red, August yes. 8th, Red and I are playing the Sugar Maple Festival in not an hour and a half from your house in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, I got to come. August 8th. I'm going to write that down. And, on and on the, I see on the, sh on the set, that is assuming it happens if COVID um, doesn't uh, knock it down. But uh, 
Also on the show is right before us, someone who I, we both played with, Robbie Folks, who is going oh, to yeah, do yeah. a Doc Watson show. So anyway. Awesome. Right. The, the, I, I'm, you're fully vaxxed then. And luckily, they'll know who you are, even with a mask on. Exactly. <laughs> they'll Bonus. know the lid. The lid will give it away. The lid and the height, the, the stature of the lid. The... <laughs> well, you have a ball. I... <laughs> I was just thinking the other day I had a, a rando comment. You know, I have to say, I have been very, very fortunate uh, with with not in, in you know, uh, in getting the ire of trolldom too bad on social media. I have been, I have Good, been saying, yeah. maybe because there's a degree of jocularity about what I do. Right. I don't know what the, but I'm glad that there's been very, very minimal assaultage. Although I'm no... I'm no stranger to responding in kind and and perhaps worse so, but I I try to I try not to do so. But every now and again, there are things that I find humorous. One was earlier in in COVID, a guy said I was doing like a Travis Picking thing on one of my Wildwood videos, and some guy who obviously didn't know Travis Picking from Nostril Picking goes, <laughs> "Not this ragtime wanker again." <laughs> <laughs> so I came up with a tune called Ragtime Wanker, which was, exactly. was fun. I couldn't resist that. You have to embrace uh, it. If somebody calls you a ragtime wanker, you have to go, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> like, well done. Well right? done. Right. And uh, the other day, somebody goes, you're too old to wear that hat. And I was like, oh. You know, I, then I was going to, ah, I was like, you know what? There's, there's a tune coming for that fella. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I... I <laughs> Somehow, I, I, I same way. Maybe I, I haven't attracted too many, and uh, the only thing I'll do is if somebody's using my uh, platform or whatever you call it to espouse political beliefs that I think are oh, yeah, harmful to the down. world and the country yeah. and my sense of humor, I just make sure they don't have a seat at my table, you know. But other than that, right. nah, other than that, you know, yeah, I've thought of. I have a couple times I've thought of. Well, I have the great snappy rejoinders after the fact, and you know, but. That way lies despair, I think, really. <laughs> yes, indeed. That, Absolutely. You know, that, like they say, don't feed the trolls. No, it's like, don't do it. <laughs> don't feed the trolls. Don't do it. No, don't do it. Well, listen, my friend, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. It's been a lot of fun, and I think the listeners shall enjoy it. It should go up, I would imagine, in a, I think we're about three weeks out. So I will let you know when it goes live, and I'll uh, send you an email, and away we go. I mean, we're done. What am I going to do for the rest of the day? <laughs> well, you know, Wednesday's kind of my, my day off. I do live streams Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Wednesday's kind of my day to... Uh, do stuff like this or you know I've been been doing a few Skype lessons been getting those out of the way yeah and uh, doing whatever needs to be done so after this I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do probably clean a little bit I got all four of my kids living at home right now Ooh, so that's it's great. Uh, that's glorious it's, yeah. it is glorious yeah. I, we are enjoying it but it it also makes for you know a lot of uh, shall we say logistical work um, in terms sideways of, in the hallway and stuff. Yes, and we're all big people. Yeah. I mean, my son is six seven. You know, my daughter's six two. My other son's six, you know, two ish, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's some huge, huge people lurking in these halls, the gristle halls, <laughs> the halls of gristle. Bill, it's a pleasure. We will hopefully see you sooner than later. Me too, man. It's this has been delightful. Thank you very much. You caused me to. 
answer for myself in ways I hadn't thought out yet. So it's excellent. (laughs) All right, my friend, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. 